Herbert is being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy. Huge sack by Joey Bosa. 90-yard touchdown. 90-yard touchdown. It's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Guyton. Caught. Touchdown, Chargers. That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. Yeah, what is going on, Bob fam? Welcome back to the Thunderdown Under Chargers podcast. I am Andy Prophet, your host, joined by my best mates and fellow Chargers tragics, Alistair Lloyd and Jack Reed. Boys, how are we doing a few days removed from this one? I don't know, Andy. Um, you know, how do you reckon I feel? You know, how do you reckon I feel? How do you reckon I feel, Andy? You know? What do you think, what Jeff? What do you think? What do you, how do you think I feel? Uh, oh, that's yeah. Here's what it is. Hey, love what it is. What about you, Alistair? That's so good. I got nothing to add, man. Like, it, it helps that we do this show a few days after because I would have been veins popping out of my neck on the Monday after watching it live with Andy. Every week is a is a risk of putting holes through plaster. <laughs> Chargers start 0-2. What can we do? It's a long season ahead, but not the start we wanted from the Bolts, boys. No, and it's ta- it's taken the absolute piss out of our um, preseason predictions. Uh, my thirteen and four is looking like I've never never watched this sport before. Don't even know the team that I support. Um, uh, Jesus, they're not doing us any any favors as podcasters. But like you said, it is a long season. The zero and two start is very hard to swallow. Let's do our best tonight to be as appropriately positive as we should Agreed. be. I guess push. Put this loss under the microscope again. Take a look at what has kept us from tying the ledger at one and one. Week two recap inbound shortly. Listeners, thanks for joining us. If you are new, welcome. Uh, You can ride with us and cry with us. Uh, (laughs) We appreciate you all tuning in. Um, If you do watch us on YouTube, don't forget to give us a like and subscribe. We are also available anywhere you can get your audio podcast. So join in. We'll take a look at what's ahead of us in week three as well. Another road game, this time against fellow 0-2 Minnesota Vikings. Okay, Los Angeles Chargers 24, Tennessee Titans 27. Could the defense bounce back after a shellacking from Miami? Is the new look Kellen Moore offense on the up and up? Herbert did show some great poise, looked to move the ball downfield a little bit better than he did once he got going. 305 yards, just shy of 66% completion for two scores. Keenan Allen just not aging a day. Still got it, baby. 111 yards, both passing touchdowns falling into his hands. Defense was a little bit better. Registered five sacks on Ryan Tannehill, surrendered 140 yards, rush yards and two scores on 34 carries. None of it was enough. Ultimately, an all-round overtime falter. Seeing the Chargers fall to 0-2, playoff chances dwindling, and the seat of head coach Brandon Staley firmly in the brimstone. Al, I'm going to start with you. I'd be jumping the gun to say that this loss was a little bit better, if you can say such a thing. Yeah. Uh, how does it sit with you, mate? The, the week, understandably, has been very negative from the media and Chargers fans. A lot of talk about why is Brandon Staley the coach? Why does he deserve to be a head coach? Um, We were fancied to be a powerhouse. It's year three. Everything should be taking off. Why don't we have liftoff? I can sympathize with that viewpoint. It is 
frustrating to still be seeing some of the same mistakes popping up, the the inability to close games, some of the mental errors, the defensive penalties, the coverage breakdowns, all of that makes sense. And you're in a precarious position if you start a season 0-2. It just means you have very little margin for error and you're going to have to transform things fundamentally and quickly. However, to you know, turn it slightly positively, there wouldn't be many teams that start a year 0-2 that have a quarterback of the quality of Justin Herbert and a total point differential of minus five. There's been no three, four touchdown blowout. Both games, the ball was in the hands of the offense with a chance to win at the end. In this game, two chances, right, to end regulation and to start overtime. So we'll unpack it all throughout the show. But if you just looked at improvement from week one to week two, I saw some glimmers of hope that made me think there is a chance the team's not as bad as everyone's making us out to be. What did you think, Jack? Oh, I would agree. Uh, very agreeable with what you have just pointed out. I mean, I guess when you look, the NFL is a league that is majority of games are decided by a score or less. The point differential is five. We're moving the ball. We're scoring the ball. Yes, there are moments in the game that we'd love to have back. Some of those penalties are absolute just kill momentum killers. For those of you who believe in momentum, there are some people that don't believe in momentum. I'm of the former. I believe momentum is a big thing in sport. I had a rough time watching this. I got up at 5 a.m. with little Molly uh, and didn't finish watching the game until probably 12 at that night. So it was a it was a heck of a day on Monday. Uh, but I... Jeez, I bet you couldn't wait to sink back into the chair and suck that one and down. For first time listeners as well, might just need to clarify what waking up at five with a little bit, a little bit of Molly means. That's true, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've just had a daughter. She's three or four weeks. She's three, three and a bit weeks old, uh, that, and her name is Molly. No, I'm definitely not going out partying all night. Uh, and what made it worse is that after I finished the first half, I'm going, this isn't looking too bad. Then my phone fucking vibrated. I looked at it. Ah, 24, 27 charges lose. So Andy, yes, I had to wait all day to sit down at 11 o'clock to go, I'm going to sit through an overtime loss. Fantastic. But I, yeah. but with that headset on, I then watched the second half. I didn't think we played as poorly and then I went back and watched the Miami game. I still didn't think we played poorly. The defense, big plays. Yes, yes, yes. This team is an almost team. It's the story of the Chargers. But I am a little more bullish than I was last week. Yeah, that's it's a fair call. Like, there are elements like there were in week one, probably more this week, where the offense plays well, has a great series. We're up 11-0 to start off the game. And then... Big explosive play to trail on Burks, yeah. 70 yards. Derek Henry just heaps in. And then you just, like you say, like you talk about momentum, Jack, you really felt, I felt at least anyway, watching that. I just thought, oh, now they're going to feel like they need to, even though we're still more than a field goal ahead, still had to kind of force it down. And I think I, I felt I saw that a little bit with Herbert, with there was just not too much control with how he ran tempo. I thought he at times was good at rushing up to the line to get the playoff and, you know, keep the, the defense on their toes. But there were also times where we didn't actually need, he didn't need to do that. Like there were, we could have soaked up a little bit more clock and actually stopped them. Um, things weren't necessarily working all the time. We had, look, we're going to get into it, but 
when instances like that falter, like the first and second downs, there's an interesting play call on like a second and seven, for example, and we run the ball up the middle for one yard and then two of 14 third down conversions. Um, it's going to be the biggest point on all three of our game notes. Um, you can't really win a game of football when you're just not converting, you're not extending drives. And there was just a little bit of um, misstep with how we were kind of flowing offensively. On the other side, we'd kept the Titans to negative 16 pass yards uh, up to the eight minute mark of the second quarter and we're looking great. Mm. Obviously then the Burks explosive, but it just wasn't, it just didn't seem like there, you spoke about it earlier in the week offline, Jack, about the the cohesion. We don't, like we're struggling to play consistent complementary football where yep. you might have one good series or two good series by the offense, defense lets the opposition score and it's, we're not getting bang for our buck as to what we're putting out there offensively. We're not getting the stops and the turnovers. Um, we definitely saw that last week. And at times we, we really saw it this week, giving up 27 points to an offense that looked like they'd barely played football last week against the saints was yeah, pretty hard to watch, but look, there was Im improvements from the defense five sacks. As I said, that's five more than we had last week. Um, and Jack, you're right. We are moving the ball down the field this week. That a dot was 11.1. So there is improvements, but I think it's just like an overall for mine, an overall lack of uh, gelling, being able to complement one another and back one another up. Alistair, I'm going to jump in here because you've done a bit of digging. Um, you know, Andy, you alluded to the 70 yard uh, bomb to Burks, and then there was a 49 yard completion as well. Just killers and Alistair these these are happening in cover four packages these are happening in even uh, was it qu quarters coverage as well these yeah. these are coverage that is designed to not give up big plays what is going on what what is going on on the back end yeah so a, a couple a couple of stats to back that up and Daniel Popper posted both of these on Twitter from The Athletic. Chargers have allowed more completions of 30-plus yards than any team in the NFL since the start of the 2021 season. That's 55 Ooh. in 36 games. To your point, Jack, the, a lot of these explosive passes are happening off cover six defense, also known as quarter-quarter-half coverage. So one half of the field, if you kind of draw a vertical plane down the middle from the center to the safety... One half of the field is kind of playing a cover two. So you've kind of just got the, the the one deep player. And then on the other side, you're playing cover four. And they call it cover six because four plus two is six. And on that cover four side, you have two deep defenders. So it kind of looks like a cover three coverage. Cover six has three deep defenders, but they're kind of slanted. So two are on one side and one's on the other. What you usually do with that coverage is you slant the two to the side where you're most concerned about the dangerous receiver. So I expect us to use that against the Vikings and Justin Jefferson this week. What we're finding are the explosives are being given up to the weak side defender who's essentially on man coverage with less help over the top. And Daniel Popper said that so far the Chargers this year have played that coverage on 12 passing plays and they've allowed explosive completions on seven of them including Ouch. ones of 35 49 and 70 yards and what's happening is you're isolating that one cornerback they isolated Traylon burks on asante for the 70 yard bomb and later on they isolated chris moore on michael davis now i'm more critical of the former than the latter 
The latter, I think that's yep. that's there's nothing wrong with that. That's how it's meant to be designed. I do have questions why you would line up Asante, a five foot nine cornerback, one on one with Traylon Burks, a much la- larger, faster receiver. So that's not working. Also, and I'll throw a question back to you, Jack. It was interesting to hear Michael Davis after the game because what's happening right now is Staley's clearly given up on the idea of Asante Samuel being the star mm-hmm. slot corner. He came, that was meant to be the plan. And this week after the game, he said, no, Jar Taylor is our star. And on the weekend, Asante played 65 snaps all outside. And on the other side, JC Jackson played 41 and Michael Davis played 24. And after the game, Michael Davis said to Daniel Popper, playing cornerback is all about rhythm. If you're going in and out, you lose your rhythm. But still, it doesn't matter. The opponent doesn't care. What do you think about Staley's revolving cornerback approach? Is this a problem? Uh, the rhythm is very much connected to the momentum conversation, which is connected to the cohesion kind of these ephemeral fleeting words. What do they actually mean? How can you quantify them? Staley has always said that he is a DB guy. He wants to be a DB factory. He wants the back end next man up, next man up. It's clearly not working. It's it really isn't. And if Michael and Michael Davis has shown in the previous seasons. He hasn't obviously been the first choice. Last year, he wasn't the first choice. He came in later in the season and performed really well. And that was getting time on task. And that's a fucking teacher saying sorry, but time on the field, getting some rhythm, getting some momentum. Perhaps the coverage is so complex that constantly changing cornerbacks you know the defensive line and the offensive line talk about cohesion and you know you've got to understand what the guy next to you is going to do and that takes time that takes 12 months in the back end i assume it would be the same thing is that you get used to seeing what jc jackson does what asante does what davis does but if you keep chopping and changing guys how can you find that rhythm and maybe that's a bit of a bit of an issue that staley uh, perhaps no other podcast has actually picked up on which is quite interesting or Spanos or Telesco, because there's an element, maybe not, we, we don't know, right? But it's interesting that the guy who's kind of getting the start is JC Jackson, the guy coming back from injury who they spent a lot of money on, and Michael Davis, who played better last year. He was a fantastic corner last year. He was cornerback one for any team. And he's the one who's been relegated with Asante, the second round pick, playing every snap. Michael Davis, undrafted free agent, who's coming out of contract at the end of this year. Interesting. Where is the direction coming from? No, not sure. We won't know. Uh, <clears throat> I'll argue. I'll argue your point a little bit, Jack, because I, I completely agree that the the rhythm of the offensive lineman uh, is imperative. Needing to know what one another's doing, um, but you'd have to think that for the most part, everyone has a relatively single objective for their role in the in the cornerback room um you sure you play as a team but you know you if you're in man coverage you just take your fucking man i'll do my job you do yours um it's the safeties that need to help over the top and there's been elements where that hasn't really happened where you know with with bosa on a snap count and might i just chuck that in nine pass rush snaps two tackles for loss two sacks God, if we could afford to do that every week, phenomenal. Yeah. Now, I won't forget about Thule, but 
we'll definitely touch on him <clears throat> and uh, oh, that green dot wearer who we slammed last week and just must must have listened to the show and just gone. I got to show those Aussie guys uh, <laughs> that I'm all all a bit more than uh, what I put out on week one. Um, so yeah, an element to that, and I I was actually going to interject when you started talking about uh, momentum earlier because yeah, that was quite a. Uh, quite a poignant thing that I thought Michael Davis came out and said that was, you know, oh, how can we get into the the rhythm and the flow of our jobs when it's like have a series, sit out to play a couple of snaps here and there. You're not really like, you know, we've all played team competitive team sports before and you know what it's like when you're not on the ground to start off with. It's a different thing. It's a, it's, it's a psychological thing. Um, if you're out on the ground at the start of the game, you're in it from the from the first second. If you're, you know, benched for the first half or whatever, you're just going like, oh, I could have done so many other things with my time, that kind of thing. Oh, sure, these guys are getting paid millions of dollars and it's completely different to what what we ever did, even if you were a rung or two below pro sports. Like, it, well, it I, I've it never felt matter. that feeling before, I was going to say. It's <laughs> well, and, Andy, for, foreign to me, but must feel bad. Bro. Andy, can I, can I, can but, I just, you touched on the Bosa thing there and let's do a counter argument to the momentum. Bosa was not on the field and he comes on and mm, plays really well. It's a very well. good so, point, man. This is a question that I had written down and I'll, I'll pass to Andy and Alistair, you might have something. Is this the Joey Bosa we should see more often? Snap count, you know, he's not gassed because he, we know he goes 100% all the time trying to get the sack, trying to do well. Realistically, comes on, he's fresh, beats his man twice, makes some tackles for loss, gets some sacks. Should we be seeing more of this? Should we be seeing Joey Bosa for 25 snaps? What do you think? And Mac? Oh, yeah. Look, I don't agree with that because they're both getting paid $30 million a year and they are massive, massive parts of our salary cap that potentially cost us from upgrading elsewhere, like a fucking decent tight end other than Gerald Everett. You know, Trey McKitty, five snaps each for the first two weeks. Why was he on the team after the after the end of last season? I should stop bashing that guy. <laughs> I didn't see the answer going point. in that direction, yeah. to be honest. It's a fair, but Bang, like the reality. Yeah, I'll, I'll always find a way. I'll always find a way. I'm like a homing beacon on that guy. Um, but it's... Like what I actually saw from the pass rush, especially was the use of some really fun stunts, but, uh, Bosa's first sack, he started outside the almost like seven tech rushed in. Sure. It helps that, um, Skaronsky wasn't playing and they had, I think Xavier Newman there at left guard for a fair whack of time. Kenneth Murray took advantage of that too, with an awesome sack. Does that happen if Skaronsky plays arguably their best lineman from week one? doesn't matter because he wasn't there and we made the most of what we had against us. So it's a, it's a really good point that he maybe is one of those guys that doesn't need momentum. Personally, I think we need to see him on the field more and cook up a little bit of, you know, bit of different stuff that some of those stunts starting out wide, allowing, uh, I think it was Tooley just to, at the sort of five on the inside of him to make the tackle and the guard commit and then bulk bork inside and just swallow Tannehill whole. Like that got me up, up, up and off the couch, um, for sure. So look, it's, it's hard to say, but what Staley I think is trying to develop with, you know, listing Jasia Taylor as the starting slot now at the start of week three, just seems like you had all off season and the preseason to do this. And maybe it's something that you, we harp on about this a lot, but maybe it's something that you don't have the opportunity to see in live games where you don't play your starters in the preseason. You, you can't say, 
this is the lockdown CB1, this is CB2 for this reason, but Staley's actually rotating those other three cornerbacks, uh, Samuel Jr., Davis, and Jackson in, uh, based on you know how they performed in the last game and how they're training and things like that. So it's a little bit sort of fair-weathered in my opinion, um, but like that Burks 70-yarder was just a horrible personnel mismatch. He's giving up five inches on Traylon Burks and he got absolutely torched. He did the right thing by covering the inside. Uh, I think Gilman was just nowhere to be seen. So, look, those things happen. It's just the regularity with which they happen, which is probably the biggest concern. We'll I, see. Look. I think, uh, like, the, the more we can rotate players to keep them fresh, the better is my perspective. Sure. I, I do understand where Andy's coming from, that you are paying the big bucks to the big rushes to stay on the field for the longest. But if that's going to be detrimental to their output and production, then then what's the point? I more feel that way about Khalil Mack, who is an older player than Joey Boza, and we're asking a lot out of him. I thought it doesn't show up in the PFF grades, but against the run, I thought he was a trooper on the weekend. Mm. But you're seeing he's not coming through from a pass rush perspective like he probably would have hoped. I see this as being a problem across different levels. Like in the linebacking core, the, just having Kendricks and Murray playing 60-something snaps each, hopefully Dayon Henley's addition can mean that gets spread. And I don't want to discount the fact that Chris Rumpf has been injured so far to start the season. And if he was healthy, plus with Tooley coming along, maybe we can see more of a rotation of Mack and Boza. Because I agree, Jack, Boza's fresh. You bring him in on third down and he's a weapon. He can blow up a game. So now that we're talking about the defense, I just think, yes, the whole talk this week has been around charges are 32nd in DVOA, 32nd in pass yards allowed. A lot of that is referable to week one against Miami. If we just focus on this game against the Titans, yes, the Titans are not the, probably not one of the better offenses in the league. So you've got to, You've got to acknowledge that. But the Chargers defense started the game with a turnover on downs, punt, punt. And then in the third and fourth quarters, when the game was there to be won, they also had three series in a row that went punt, punt, punt. The run defense showed signs of life, I thought. Keeping Derrick Henry to that kind of tally was a good effort. Yes, Spears got off the leash a little bit, but... Overall, signs of improvement, only five missed tackles compared to nine missed tackles last week. So maybe I I am kind of drinking the Kool-Aid because I am pro-Staley, so I'm going to be looking for causes for hope. But it's got to have been a positive step from last week with a hope that against Minnesota we'll see another step. The next thing is to work on coverage and being in the right spot. But the little things like pass rush, run defense, stopping the offense, making them punt was better this week against the Titans. Alistair, I'm going to, th- I'm going to throw something right back at you and I'll give you some, I'll just give you some ammo uh, of what I've got. And I sort of, you said yourself, you're a defender of Staley. So here we go. My, my question, so you can think about it. I'll give you some stuff after is, is Brandon Staley's scheme and his success built on the back of generational players? We look at his time in Chicago. He had a different Khalil Mack. He had a generational MVP, defensive MVP player. He's the outside linebackers coach. 
coaching Khalil Mack to a to yep. incredible. In Denver, he had Von Miller, who is also an outside linebacker. So he's working with Von Miller there in 2019. And of course, as DC in LA, he's got Aaron Donald, arguably the most disruptive player in PFF's history. Now and Ramsey and well, I'm not putting Ramsey in generational. I'm probably putting Mac Miller and Donald in that generational bracket. So when we start to look at the run defense, will the run defense actually be ever be any good? I I, I look at this and I go, I don't think so, because look at this: SJD sixth round, Austin Johnson picked in the second round. Okay, not too bad. He's 29. Fox UDFA. Nick Williams, seventh round. Scott Matlock, round six. Obonia, fifth round. We have not invested decent talent at the interior nose tackle, nor have we gone out to find it. So I go back to you. Is Brandon Staley's scheme built on the back of generational players? That's why this defense is not working because he doesn't have one queen, let's call them, and if we're speaking chess, to deploy in that dominant, dominant role. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep this succinct as I can. The last two years of Staley's defense has not worked. So if if you want to take that position that you think he only had success in LA with the Rams because of those guys, sure, he hasn't had success with the Chargers. With the Rams in 2020, though, I thought what made that, made that defense really impressive was guys who had heretofore not been good footballers had career years Darius Williams, John Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day, Morgan Fox, Troy Reader, Troy Hill. And they had Donald and Ramsey. But what made that a great group is they coalesced together under the one DC. So I don't know. I thought that year he did a good job, except, and we haven't mentioned this, they got torched by Green Bay in the divisional round that year. And Rodgers took the piss out of that defense, put up 30 points. So... Yes, they were great during the regular season. They failed when it mattered. Since he's come across, they haven't been so good. On your point about defensive tackles, those guys don't get drafted high really anyway, unless they're elite. So I, I don't, unless you really uh, unless want to lynch Unless you're the Philadelphia Eagles, where you just shore up the defensive line in the first and second rounds all the time. Yes, true, true. If you want to take a Quinn and Williams with pick two or that caliber, yes. Jordan Davis, Vita Vea. Yes, yes. But if you believe, which Staley and Fangio do, in playing light boxes and maybe de-emphasizing that position, they figure you can you can make do with third round or later <laughs> picks and just tr- coach him up. Yeah, but he's had Donald, the most disruptive interior pass rusher, on the best defense that he coached to get him the head coach job. So I'm building a bit yes. of a narrative against him here, but I think it was just worth mentioning. No, it's a good point as well. Well, this time the elite players are on the edge and it's not really making a difference so far. Well, it's something that the opposing offensive coordinators can work towards when generating their run game. They just add more dual tight end sets to to double team um, uh, Mac and Bosa and sort of make them struggle to set the edge. It also just makes the the interior just very vulnerable to, to runs up the middle. So... Yeah, look, it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but um, there were improvements this week, so let's let's hope. Uh, look, I always sort of kind of hop back. You hear about it a lot. Is is his textbook too complex? Is he trying to teach specialist maths to general math students? That kind of thing. Like, is he is he throwing in stuff that's maybe too hard for these guys to understand? 
I don't know. There's a lot of different coverages, a lot of different um, requirements from his from his um, DBs. I don't know. But he, he, he's also come from uh, a wide group of very good safeties in his time. Now, maybe not generational gun safeties, but he's had Kareem Jackson, uh, Eddie Jackson, um, Justin Simmons. Like he's had good guys everywhere he's been, good safeties. And we've got Derwin James, sure, but when you use him so much in the in the box as we do, because look, we can't not touch on a great game that Derwin had. He was everywhere, if not a little too much over the top with that um, awful bonehead uh, penalty that he gave away uh, on that third quarter drive that cost us. Um, I don't know. We just I feel like we lack a little bit of the ex- experience and leadership from guys like Aloe and. You know, he's still young, still in maybe his fourth year or something, but yeah, it's just not, it's, it's it's sort of different kettle of fish. So it, I don't know if it's square peg, round hole stuff, trying to sort of force it on, but you just, I think it, what it boils down to is you can see that across various games, not just this year, but in the past, we've had all aspects of the defense play well, whether they all do it at once, it's, it's hard. It's hard to see that there's consistent. We have, we go back to it cohesion from from the playing group, and a lot of a lot of criticism does fall on Staley. But you also the players have to execute their roles, um, and you see coverage break up, um, blow ups, and things like that. So, do we want to talk offense, guys? Move on. Is there anything else we want to add? Uh, we've ob- obviously got to talk about those couple of pass, um, roughing the passer penalties which was really disappointing to see. I did say the the late or the defenseless receiver hit from Derwin James when the receiver was eight yards short of the line to gain and he's oh. just poleaxed him. SJD. Let's, just quickly on that, I also, I also didn't like Derwin's presser today. They Like he said, I'm still not sure what else I could have done on that play, but, you know, it's a bang-bang play. I tell you what you could have done. Recognize that the guy's six yards short of the line to gain, so you don't almost need to tackle him at all. I know that's hard to yeah. say because it happens in a fraction of a second, but it was, what is it, third and 12 or third and 13? Third and 14, and he had he was eight yards short. So when you're that, that far away, you've almost just got to let him catch it, and you don't need to do what you did anyway. I didn't like that. Yeah. It didn't sound like he'd reflected and just, he was like, oh, I don't know what I should have done. It's a tough sport. Look, he's a football pa- player, not an orator, but I never really take much out of what Derwin's press conferences have to say because, yeah, man, we just yeah, do our job and we got to go out there and, and play. You're like, okay, you said this last week, so cool. I know you've you've got it, it embedded in your contract to speak to the media, but hey. Um, all right, well, I'm not going to harp too much on uh, those mismatches. We do have to talk about Kenny Murray wearing the green dot. His role was improved. I did suggest we move on to offense, but he, we need to speak about it because I, I I can't remember really a better game um, for, from him as a charger. Not in the last couple of years anyway. Best game under under Staley. Um, it was great. He got, got pass rush. I think he had five tackles, uh, got a sack. Um, he was running downhill. He wasn't getting bogged up uh, in the run game. So well played. I thought it would have been a bit of bit of struggle for him wearing the green dot, not having Kendricks there. Uh, but look, he really led from the front, and it was it was awesome. Communicated well, as uh, Staley pointed out. So 
good to see some positive improvement from from Kenny. Yeah, generally just an all around game. I and thought if, like coverage as well. He was half decent. Made some big bang bang yeah. plays. Uh, he diagnosed Derek Henry's run. Spot spotted the gap. Uh, yeah, played played really well. And credit where credit's due. Just let's let's Absolutely. put a couple of games together, Kenny. Let's just put a couple of games together like that now. Um, you know, with Acres going to the uh, to the Vikings, hopefully he can have some bang bang plays there as well. And and cool. Tooley was. And Do we Tooley want to say great. bang bang anymore? Bang or? bang. Uh, yeah, Tooley was awesome. Yeah, Tooley was. Yeah. Tooley was really yeah. good. Um, awesome. Uh, just just. Oh, mate, you know when he's he picked exciting. up Bosa? He's a big boy. Oh, isn't he? He's 21 yep. years old. Yeah, he, you know when he picked Bosa up from Bosa's sack, he was like, that was so good, sir. That was so good. <laughs> Bosa's like, yeah, get in here, son. Yeah. Uh, it was good I to can't... see. There were there were really fun, positive aspects out of that defense, but just allowing, like, I think that was Tannehill's second best um, pass completion. He went 20 of 24. Made him look like he was 12 years younger than he is. So... Stuff like that's pretty hard to swallow when you break it down, but yeah. All right, let's move on to the offense. Jack, take it yeah, away. I'm going to go, uh, Alistair, I'm going to throw straight to you. I've got two questions for you. Do you notice a difference in Justin Herbert and him trying to control the scheme a bit more? There's your first question. And mm. if you were to give a rating out of 10 for Kellen Moore's two games as play caller, what would you give? Oh, yours. Ooh, that's a that's a humdinger. Uh, yes, I, I, I look. I, Herbert made had, had was empowered to make changes at the line under Lombardi as well. I do remember some kill, kill, and changes, but I have noticed him doing a little more of that. He checked out of a couple of plays noticeably this week. One was successful with a nice run. The other wasn't. So yes, I think he's kind of em- empowered to do more of that in Kellen Moore's scheme. I would give more a six and a half out of 10 so far, wow. which is kind of C plus yeah. satisfactory areas. Do you know why? I'm, I think there's some questionable usage things going on. Like this week, a big one was Dotson over Spiller. Yeah. I know that they view Dotson as an Eckler replacement who's better in the passing game. So yes, I get it from that perspective, but per PFF, Dotson's four carries for six yards were all through the A-gap. And to me, that's just a missed opportunity with your fourth round, 200-plus pound running back who looked good in the preseason against a big, strong defensive line. There was a third and four draw call that I think was a Herbert check, to be honest, where he's just run straight into the line. I thought, what the hell was that? Also, Kellamore's doing a bit too much like wide receiver screen to Mike Williams, jet sweep to Mike Williams, that stuff and in the second half this in this game when the defense went punt 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 the Chargers ran the ball on first down five out of nine times before that last drive in regulation and I just thought feel the feel the stuff brother I put it up on Twitter that the play calling sequence that bothered me the most was one that came up 10 minutes left in the third quarter. At this stage, we're trailing 17-14. We start with the ball at our 25, first and 10. Herbert passed to Mike Williams, 11 yards, first and 10. Herbert passes to Mike Williams again, 11 yards, first and 10. We're at midfield. Run the ball to Kelly, three yards. Run the ball to Kelly up the middle, one yard. Herbert sacked on third and six, Justin Simmons punting. Like, that's that feel where you've just started off a drive with two 11-yard passes. 
I don't know. So, but you know, 200 plus yards on the ground last week. So lots to build on there, but it's, there's been a scant criticism of Kellen Moore so far online. It's all Staley's hopeless, fire Staley. Mm. What's this defense doing? 32nd. A lot of that's legitimate. But in both games, the offense has had the ball at the end of the game with a chance to win, and it has not happened yet due to various breakdowns, right? In this game, in overtime, third down, the ball got snapped, and Mike Williams is in motion what and doesn't run on? around. What is going on? Yeah, they, there was a few of them that looked like they had no idea. It was, I think that was, I actually think that last drive was more on Herbert um, than it was on Kellen Moore, but for sure, I agree with you. I think that first Dotson on third and three, the run up the middle, they sort of knew with where they were on the field that they were probably going to go for it on fourth down and they executed and converted. So Good that's call. okay, but it happened again and it was like, Man, I know you're going to struggle running spread against such a fast, violent defensive line, but like, yeah, man, use use Kelly or use Spiller in those if you're going to run it up the middle. And the um, offensive and line gap. held up kind of well too, to be honest. I know, like, they Johnson only allowed eight or nine pressures. Days. They didn't. Have they had a couple days, of rough yeah. snaps. I don't know. I thought the pocket was relatively clean. Maybe it's because they were running the ball more than I would have liked. But um, I don't know. It's It wasn't a completely tight operation. When you go two of 14 on third down. Stinks, man. Well, great. So would you give it, Jack? You're the teacher amongst us. <laughs> what? Uh, well, at <laughs> two out of 14 is, yeah, mate, get out of school. Go, go home. Go home and look at. Yeah, come back. <laughs> look at penguins. Be a tradie like me. Drop out of school no, and be a trader like wouldn't, me. I wouldn't trust someone who gets two out of 14 <laughs> to build a house or do electronics. Uh, uh, electrics, sorry. Um, I, I did also, I just had in my notes. ACDC. <laughs> ACDC, that's right. Uh, Everett. I thought Everett's efforts on a couple of occasions were really good. And the way that he ran, oh, what he a ran dog. with power. And that, Mate, that was really him. good to see, that effort. Um, ran with violence. He, he beat, broke about was, 10 tackles on the field on oh, that one play. Love, love that. Love it. Yeah, so and good. The, at times, I was genuinely concerned he was going to have that ball. There was one that I think it went to the right, went to the right side, and maybe got like a seven-yard gain. He just wasn't going down. And Jack Gibbons, the linebacker for the Titans, is uppercutting the absolute shit out of him, trying to pop that ball out. Nope, not having it. Gerald Everett, dog, yeah. loved it. And I guess the the other the other sort of question I had of myself from last week's pod was. Are there too many weapons to spread the ball? I mean, Gerald Everett caught three. Uh, Keenan Allen caught eight. Mike Williams caught eight. Stone Smart made an amazing catch. Uh, Quinton Johnson Didn't still he? not really being had no right catching that targeted one. Targeted twice. No right catching that. Josh Palmer. Josh it in Palmer. Like five targets for three cap catches. So yeah, spreading the ball out okay, which is which is fine. So uh, yeah, listen, it is what it is. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about uh, the usage of. Quinton Johnson, I know, yeah, which, like you said, we, we do have offensive weapons and people to throw to, Josh Palmer included as well. Almost almost had that, just get your toe down. That would have been sensational. Did he um, get it down? Is it a, oh, yeah, I stand by it. I think it was a good call. I thought there was, actually on the whole, I thought the officiating was pretty subpar uh, both ways, uh, but the, they got that one right uh, for mine. Um, is it a concern that... Elijah Dotson's just about getting more receiving targets than Quinton Johnson. Um, Darius Davis as well. Like, I don't know if I'm spot on with that, but like he's getting two targets and 
sub 10 yards and you're talking about the big four guys that get drafted in the first round jordan addison zay flowers from their first two weeks are making a mockery and qj looks like yeah 10 snaps yeah it's it's odd maybe that just comes down to what the personnel usage and what um kellen moore is trying to do with you know maybe not showing his hand completely early but mate we're oh and two and we're coming up against the vikings in Minnesota, we've got Dallas, we've got the Chiefs, we've got like even the Raiders in week four looks like anything could bloody happen. Um, and it's it's a bit of a bit of a concern. So Kellen, I'm I'm about the same as you. I think six, six and a half. We're we're definitely leaving points on the field, and he's probably not completely to blame with that, but I'm not liking any of this Keenan Allen in motion, he and Mike Williams in motion. He's a contested catch guy. He's not a bubble screen, can't like sort of um, start a step and, and beat that, that first tackle. Roger McCreary in tight in patches was absolutely all over him and, and smashed him at the line. Um, and there's nothing worse. If you, that bubble screen, I think it was second and two lost a yard, which just preceded that third and three for Elijah Dotson. Um, he kind of tried to wiggle, did a, spin on the spot and his leg flailed up in the air. I said this to you when we were watching, I was like, he is not the kind of guy that you want to be seeing doing that sort of stuff with his injury history. You just like, sure. Get a bit of body contact down the field, but like that's just sort of, that, that sort of thing just doesn't seem like it's really like bang for buck. So we'll see what happens this week. Um, but look, we've got to get off to a hot start because as we'll get into pretty, pretty soon, the Vikes have many weapons and Kirk Cousins isn't a dud, man. He's not a Tannehill. He, uh, he can do all right. 22. Jack, anything else you want? I was going to say 22 Out. of 38 targets directed at Keenan and Mike. So there's an opportunity to get others more involved. Before we go to our awards, Andy, I had a question for you. And it's around Brandon Staley's press conference. Because Jack's weighed in and... The quote that caught some ears is, you know, he was asked about whether there's a Jags loss hangover and he got a bit defensive, to be fair. He showed a bit of verve. He said, Mm. if you've seen our training camp or seen the way we've played in the first two games, it hasn't had an impact on our team whatsoever. Now, on Bolts from the Blue, Tau837, one of our listeners, of course, he said he came across as excessive. He came across as excessively defensive and frankly delusional. He should have expected every question he got in that press conference. There's no way to win that press conference in that situation. He should just calmly answer the questions like Herbert does with bland answers about needing to get better or even take the Belichick onto Cincinnati approach. The defensiveness is the worst way to react here. It just causes people to remember how inexperienced he is and wonder if this job situation is too big for him. Mm. That makes a good point. He usually does. I actually liked the the emotion in it. I know you've got to kind of separate that um, as the coach and as the leader of this team, but I, I kind of enjoyed it, to be honest. Uh, at least it sort of shows he, he bloody cares um, and he ain't there to make friends with uh, with Dan Popper and and then he took it out on Jeff and uh, it was it was good. It was good watching, to be honest, because, like, you see that game and you don't want to, like, hear them just give that boring kind of answer generic like yeah you know what we did wasn't good enough next question that kind of stuff like i want to see a bit of a bit of heart and, and emotion i'm a bit i'm an i'm an emotive guy we love this uh, we're aussies we get this in absolutely. the afl 
Absolutely. <sighs> we love we love seeing coaches fight with journos. Nothing better. You've just lost a game in overtime that you should have won. You had multiple opportunities to do so. Be pissed off, man. Absolutely. I, okay. Like I see what Tao's saying from a professional level, but nah. I, I don't. Interesting. I, yeah. I, Interesting. I liked it. To be now, honest. Jack, I, yeah. I reckon you'd have an opinion on this for sure. You're you're a teacher. What what's your far kind more of reserved than the likes of me for sure. From the leadership perspective, what what's kind of your take on this, my friend? Okay. Well, you've set me up really well, and this is a little bit of my teachable moment. I'm calling this from red to blue. How the Chargers can learn from the All Blacks. Little bits of this is coming from an article by Simon Austin, written in June 2021. No battle plan survives first contact with the enemy, said Helmuth von Moltke from 1880. More recent one, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and that's by Mike Tyson. Rapid breathing, sweaty palms, racing mind. Most of us have experienced this feeling of being in an exam or interview and feeling control is slipping away. The New Zealand All Blacks described it as being hot, heated, overwhelmed, and tense. In this state, it's difficult to think clearly, execute properly, or make the right decisions. As overwhelming favourites to win the World Cup in 2007, that's exactly what seemed to afflict the All Blacks as they completely unravelled when caught in a French storm in the quarterfinals. The overwhelming favourites lost. Ringing any bells? What the All Blacks recognised was that their mentality and ability to keep attention on performance during moments of critical pressure suffered in the last three World Cups they'd been in. The implication was that they had choked. If you think of physical, technical, and tactical as forming three legs of a stool, the stool isn't balanced unless you have a psychological strength as well. So they changed their training and preparation. What is the link between the All Blacks and the Chargers? Well, this is the teachable moment. The final drive, the final snap, the final sack, the INT in the last 10 seconds. These are not where games are lost. It is penalties for roughing the passer in the third quarter, personal fouls, offsides to start the game, giving up sacks in it at inopportune times, playing inconsistent football for the entire four quarters, offense, defense, never in balance, yin and yang fighting, always in a form of koyonaskatsi, which is a Hopi Indian word for life out of balance. In essence, the perception is that Chargers and the Stalian players are constantly choking. It is small parts that makes the whole. We're playing too hot. We're playing red hot in critical moments. Experienced players are seeing too much red. That feeling of being tight, inhibited, anxious, short, snappy press conferences. Neurologically, your brain function lights up when your attention gets diverted because the parts of the brain associated with the fight or flight and fear become heated. The key for Staley and elite athletes is to move back into this blue phase where mental technique, this is where mental training comes in. First, a player needs to recognize the red flags, then it takes deliberate effort to get attention back and not be diverted by unhelpful emotion. Brandon Staley alluded to, did you see training camp? Did you see, did you see, were you there? Did you see how hard they went? Okay, okay, sure. But not all training and preparation is physical. In fact, for experienced elite Athletes, physical, technical, and tactical training are a given. They come ready to train in those three pillars their entire careers. The way forward for this football team to consistently win games is, I believe, to begin focus on their psychological strength throughout the game's moments. Each snap makes the whole. That is what separates teams in the NFL. Those are the inches that define either success or failure. Can Brandon Staley do that? Wait and see. Class dismissed. Yeah. Nice, mate. Uh, look, I, I love your take on it. Al, in particular, love the little uh, nod to Indian, uh, what have you, but uh, I always enjoy you. I, I'd, I'd sit Indian, down in the classroom if you were in here. 
I actually can't remember. Yeah. I was listening too much to. And you unmuted yourself just to laugh. So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, mate. I uh, love the teachable moment, and I think you're pretty spot on. Um, it's all about just putting it out on the field and actually executing. So, uh, it's a way of, you know, eliciting that to the players, really, isn't it? And just making sure that they're in the right space. All right. Well, we can't do anything about the 0-2 start. What we can do is look forward to week three. So let's get into it. Out of the Chargers camp this week, as we talked about, I'm just going to say straight up, I love the fire in the belly out of Staley. Um, and then I, I sort of, we went back to Mr. Typical, classic, nice guy, blowing smoke up to up any ass that would take it uh, <laughs> when we are coming up against the Vikes. Phrasing, yeah, we're playing that. Um, good mates with Kevin O'Connell, best buds, you know. Love each other. Thank God we're not. Thank God we're not playing the cards this year because Jesus, there'd be some kissing. But look, the reality is, we um, there's a lot to worry about. There's there's multiple X factors that we're coming up against in this uh, this Vikes offense and a quarterback that's more than capable. So. Uh, as far as personnel go, I think Kendricks and Eckler, they have no set timelines on their return. I think Henley and Rumpf are back. Yes. Limited practice for Bosa, but we'll we'll ease that back in. Yeah, that's going to help. That's going to help, like we said, the, the rotations across the line and a little bit more. Uh, oh, I want to want to see Dion Henley in the middle of the field, man. He, he excited me in the preseason. So as far as the team goes, I don't think there was any other major issue, injury concerns. Mike Williams had a bit of an ankle knock, but he was, you know, just did mike williams stuff at practice today so wouldn't be too uh worried about him not playing on the weekend al what did the vikes do last week how are they looking well they've had a few extra days to prepare because they played on thursday night football at lincoln financial field against the eagles a game which they lost 34 to 28 my views the score kind of uh, flatters them somewhat by the end of the game but they had their chances so in this one the tail of the tape was that the Eagles ran the ball 48 times for 259 rushing yards, an incredible, an incredible total. With DeAndre Swift, 28 attempts for 174 yards, doing his best Marshall Fork impersonation, and Devonta Smith having four catches for 131 yards and a tuddy. On the other side of the ball, you had... Kirk Cousins with, I thought, a highly flattering 31 for 44, 364 yards, four touchdowns. A lot of that. A lot of that in junk time. Justin Jefferson destroyed Darius Slay, 11 catches, 159 yards. Now, the bit that's unlucky, even though the Eagles, for the most part, had a 13-part lead or more, the Vikings lost a special teams fumble early. That doesn't happen very often. Mm. And they had a touchdown erased for that old-school rule where Justin Jefferson fumbled the ball, extending for the pylon through the end zone at the one-yard line. And the result Tell us what you think play, about that rule, mate. I was saying, Andy, it, it should be a, it maybe like it should be a safety and a punt back to you, but to give the ball to the opposition and they start at the twenty-five, it just seems like the punishment doesn't fit the crime, right? Really, you've yeah, got the ball at the one-yard line because you try to score a touchdown. The ball goes to the opposition. I don't know. Seems too harsh. Anyway, time of possession, Eagles dominated it, thirty-nine minutes to twenty minutes. The Vikings couldn't stop them on the ground at all, and. Really, I thought the Eagles were the better better team. So, but Vikings put up 30, uh, 28 points. So they kept fighting. They kept doing their thing. They've got playmakers. Let's get into it, Jack. What do you think of the Vikings' strengths 
in this game that we've got to face them. Three things you touched on it. Opposition X factor, none other than Justin Jefferson, now has more receiving yards than the entire Chicago Bears. I don't know. That's probably not the right stat, but it's something (laughs) like that. Uh, his average depth of target is over 13 yards. He already has four contested catches. He's at 150 yards in two games. He is a Madden cheat code. There are su- Cousins threw a ball to him. I don't know how it got through in double coverage. Guys scissoring him. Yes, we're back to scissoring. And the ball just finds it and he makes it. He's incredible. Uh, this is a little bit of a Trojan horse that I've found that I've also linked into a next morning's headlines, but the Vikings band together to form war party in coverage. Weirdly enough, per PFF, they, the Vikings have their fourth best coverage through two games. Bynum, Asamoah, Hicks, Pace, Evans are all playing really well in the coverage game, especially their linebackers and Bynum, um, who had a bit of a down year in 2022. And I've got to do, I love you, man. It's a weird one, but Brian O'Neill at right tackle, quietly become mm. one of the best right tackles in the league, building Gun. on his performances each year. No sacks, no hits, one hurry allowed through two games. And given that he was up against some pretty nasty pass rushes in the Eagles. He's done very well. So I love you, man, Brian O'Neill. That's what I kind of had for the strengths and charges threats. Can I jump in on a rated rook, mate, before you go to the weaknesses, Andy? Ivan Pace Jr. was a guy Mm -hmm. I talked about in the I love you, mans, for the linebackers. Small guy out of the University of Cincinnati has no business playing in the NFL. He is that small and that thin. But he was he had like a 95 blitz grade per PFF. Undrafted free agent. Well, he was a fantastic blitzing linebacker against the Eagles. Ends the game with an 86.3 overall grade as an undrafted rookie. He's a starter. So good pick from the Vikings. And he backed that up from a 75 in um in week one yeah. as well. Uh very, very impressive. QB hit and a sack. Not bad. I'll actually jump in. I thought Theo Jackson when he came uh onto the field, I reckon he might usurp starting safety Josh Metellus. Um very solid outing for him in week two. Um look, as far as the weaknesses go, obviously Al, you touched on what the Vikings and uh Swift was able to do on the ground. Their run defense is cause con- for concern, even if their their secondary is um doing well, which doesn't really favor us because we don't have Eckler. Uh, so even though we had over 200 rushing yards in week one, Eckler was more than half of those. And we're, Kellen Moore's just not quite really working out how to use the guys that we do have. So interesting. It is an opportunity for us to take advantage of whether or not we can execute that with the right personnel is yet to be seen. Um, their run game and run blocking now, they have added Cam Akers to the fold, but he's been in the building for all of five minutes. So we'll see what his impact and sort of understanding of the uh, the playbook. Was Kevin O'Connell with the Rams while Akers was there? Probably could have assessed that out, but yep. I'm not quite sure. Either way, uh, he's he's a decent back. Um, and look, Matheson, Matheson, Matheson was fumbling the football last week, so we'll see. The run blocking also has been... Um, pretty average so look you'd like to think that we could get the the week one run game back in in uh, order um but we'll see and it is an opportunity for us to take advantage of because i do think the likes of uh harrison smith pretty underrated uh safety staley uh, spoke pretty highly of him and uh yeah i also spoke uh also wanted to 
talk about Ivan Pace as you did, Jack. Uh, Al, sorry. Um, the rest of the defense just seems a little bit flat so far to start the year. So we'll see. We'll see how we go. Did you um, know, did you notice that Flores has essentially benched their two early round picks, Lewis Seen and Andrew Booth? Yeah, can't mm. see the field. They've got a Caleb El- Evans and Theo Jackson. Fl- Flores, man, they blitz all the time. They're playing deep off coverage on the back end as well, which is not what you'd expect from a Patriots acolyte. They're doing some weird stuff, but I think I'm with you, Andy. I think there are lots of ways to hurt this team. I don't think their corners are very willing tacklers. Byron Murphy doesn't want anything to do with it. Tonga and Lowry in the interior are rubbish interior linemen. Their offensive line is struggling as well. They don't have Darasaw. Well, he might come back, but otherwise... They've got like the interior offensive line can be exploited. Lots of ways to get after him. For sure. Um, I mean, Cousins has been pretty good with getting rid of the ball quickly. He's got ample options. It's not just Jefferson. TJ Hawkinson is balling. Um, KJ Osborne as well. Like they've just, you know, it's going to be a massive bloody test for this defensive back unit um, to get their shit together to try and cover those four guys. And... Even though, you know, even though a lot of it was fluff in junk time, Cousins is still a capable quarterback and he is, he's a fighter. Um, he's a bit of a dork. If you've seen the quarterbacks TV show, um, Netflix show, he's a bit of a dork, but God, he, like he goes hard he's an awesome and he, guy. he he's cares. He's a lovely guy too. Yeah. He really is. Yeah, he really is. Um, so yeah, look, we'll see. We'll see. There is ample avenues for the Chargers to succeed against this team. It's whether or not we can... Uh, put that into practice, into place, and and execute on those uh those chances. What do you think the uh, the keys to victory are, and what Staley's going to do, Jack? Uh, I mean, we've already talked about them. Best way to attack, run the ball. Best way to defend, know the passes are coming. Uh, but I've got a pigeonholed award here. This is this is more of a meta kind of analysis of the game. This is the playoff against the almost teams the media loves to say. Uh, they're, nor the, they're neither dominant nor completely shit. They almost win games or almost lose them. Uh, who's going to blink first? Because the team that comes out second best, we know that there are going to be storylines aplenty. Could we see Kirk go to New York? Could we see him throwing a Garrett Wilson? Who knows? There's been some rumblings there. Or do we see Staley coaching Costa Mesa High School? Uh, special teams unit <laughs> by week five. With Kyle and Darren Bennett. With Kyle and Darren Bennett. <laughs> so, uh, yet yeah, other than that, I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll do my prediction as well and anyone can jump in. Uh, I'm going to be really negative here. Vikings 34, mm. Chargers 28, Chargers lose. Mm. Before I throw to you, Al, I would like to see strategic insertion of the Blitz. Cousins' yards per attempt diminished by half when blitzed against the Eagles. Under pressure, his completion percentage falls to 46.7. Now, if we have Mac uh, Bosa rather operating excellently on a snap count, load up, load up and get to him. We've, we've really got to decrease his time to throw uh, and put, that, put the pressure on a, a struggling O-line, as you say, Al. So... Obviously, a lot of work to do for the cornerbacks. I'm with you, Jack, though. I think this is in Minnesota. Both teams 0-2. Both former uh, playoff teams from last year. Um, I've just been right in the cloud, and I've come to terms with 13-4 and being out the window. So, unfortunately, I agree, Jack. I think they're going to put up 30 points, and the Chargers will struggle to get four touchdowns. So, one score loss, um, 0-3, and... uh, 
Shit. Here we go. Mr. Pro Staley, what do you got? Well, absolutely not. Put the glasses on. Absolutely not. Chargers win 31 to 28. We should say that Daniil Hunter had three sacks in the game, so they'd better have a tight end chipping on his side because the rest of the uh, pass rushers can't do much for the Vikings. But no, this is going to be the third time where the offense has a chance late in the game to win the ball. The score is going to be 28-28, but this time we're going to march down the field and we're going to have a walk-off Cameron Dicker field goal. And my Dicker is going to be hitting the roof. Because there's no way that a team this talented starts a season 0-3. Book it in! Listeners, Chargers get the win against Minnesota at M&T Bank Stadium. All right. Two two of us have packed it in and Al's (laughs) still flying the flag. It's good to see. We can't agree on everything. That shit gets boring. So we've talked about scissoring. We've talked about dickers hitting the roof. Talked about... Things getting blown up asses. It's been an interesting show, guys, but that's what happens when you're 0-2 and things are beyond disappointing so far. So let's hope it is a turnaround. I would love to be 0 from 3 on my predictions this year. I figure I would just reverse psychology it a little bit and just just pick the Vikings and hope that, you know, I've just got no clue. Um, I've stopped punting on the NFL because I just lose money. I think I know something and it doesn't happen. So... Yeah, look, let's let's put the house on the Vikings and hopefully I'll lose that too. <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, like I said, ride with us and cry with us. Hopefully it's a lot more tears. I hope we were as positive as uh, as you would have liked us to have been this week. It is oh, it is two weeks into a 17-week, 18-week season, 17 games. There's still a long way to go. Sure, the chances of playoffs are not against us. If we do fall, it's a bit of a bloody problem, but... Positive thinking. We have no control over it. Let's hope the players do. Anything from you guys before we sign it out? We'll see you next week on the Thunder Down Under Chargers Go podcast. Chargers. Go Bucks! Bye. Fiery has got Floyd turning, got it, 6 and 10, 5, high step, touchdown, San Diego! Woo-hoo, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Woo! Good night! Good night to all!